Good morning, everyone. Hey, if you're a guest with us today, like David said, thank you for being here with us. I'm glad that you're here this morning. Uh, We're going to do a little bit of jumping around in the Bible. There's two places we're going to land here, and we're going to get there in a little while. If you have your Bible, you could open it up to Ephesians chapter 5 and Galatians chapter 5. They're right next to each other. So Ephesians 5 and Galatians 5 uh, in your New Testament. We'll get there here in just a few minutes. But I want to point out a few things in the life of our church. Here's something that's really important. Many of you, your learning style is not going to be necessarily me standing up here uh, preaching to you. And I understand that. As a matter of fact, if I were uh, to tell you what was the most impacting thing that happened in your life as far as coming to know the Lord and your relationship with Jesus, you'd probably tell me a name, someone's name, not necessarily the title of a sermon. And I get that. No hard feelings, okay? Uh, But that's why I think the most important thing for you is to connect here to people. I mean, that's really like, man, the church is so important because you connect to other people, people that understand what you're going through, people that want to encourage you, people that want to grow with you, people that want to pray with you, people that want to show up in your hardest times and in your good times. And so we have a few opportunities for you to really connect with the people here at our church coming up. One of them is what we call starting point. A starting point takes place next Sunday after our third service. If you've never been through it, I really want to encourage you to go through it. If you've been at this church for however many years, I would still encourage you to register and participate in Starting Point. It's a reminder of our mission, vision, values. You meet some of our elders, you eat a really good home-cooked meal, and you connect with people. You learn about discipleship groups and how to get connected to serving in this place. I really want to encourage you to do that. Uh, So Starting Point is in two weeks. Uh, Two other quick things that are really important for you to kind of make note of on the church calendar are uh, VBS is coming up and registration's open. Uh, So you can get online and register your kids, your grandchildren, or you. We need as many volunteers as we can get uh, because we have 400-plus kids that show up on our campus for a week. Uh, They're here every morning for three hours, and we need as much help as we can get. But but here's the thing, New Hope. um, We've opened registration, and uh, like 85% of the registration is not New Hope people. (laughs) So I would encourage our church, get on there and get registered. uh, Get going. Don't wait till the last minute because we do have a cap. Uh, because of fire code. We just we have a certain amount of space that we can have, and so get on there and register for VBS. Upward Soccer and, and the Student Ministry Banquet are also coming up, and so you can learn more about the Student Ministry Banquet. Man, what a cool night it would be for all of us to show up and support our students, and so for you to be here for the banquet, there's a silent auction right here on our campus. Uh, you can buy tickets right out at the Welcome Center, and at 100% of the money that you, you spend on auction items and tickets is going to help students go on mission trips this summer. And so it's really a worthwhile cause. Your D group might get a table there, but we want to encourage you to come and be a part of this and get connected to the life of the church. Uh, at the Student Ministry Banquet, volunteering at VBS are coming to Starting Point. All right, so there you go. You've got your calendars full. Let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll start the sermon. Father, thank you uh, for your presence with us this morning. God, as we open your word, uh, you can teach us. I believe that with all my heart. And so this morning, uh, we together come humbly before you asking you to speak to our minds and our hearts, as only you can. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're starting a new series, and we're calling it Time to Grow. And uh, we're going to be looking at the characteristics or the traits that God wants followers of Jesus to develop in their life. These are the things he wants uh, to use to describe us as we live in pursuit of Jesus every day. And we're calling it Time to Grow because you know that throughout life, Growing and maturing is not always easy. It's, it's, in fact, it's not something you can stumble into. We don't trip and fall and wake up one day and like, hey, I'm mature. This is great. That happened overnight. That was really fun. No, you don't do that. 
you have to go through experiences and make decisions, and sometimes it's not comfortable, and sometimes it's not fun, but it's always worth it, right? It's always worth growing. Now, maybe for you, you could point back to a certain moment in your life that was really pivotal in your growth and maturity. I think that's really important. Maybe for you, you can look at other people, and you can say, man, they really need to grow up. Maybe you've said that, right? You've looked at people, and you're like, man, that might be cute when you were a kid, but that's just not cute when you're in your 20s and 30s, right? Here's a couple pictures. Here's uh, someone who's really cute. This is my youngest, Noah. That's his first birthday. That's his first, uh, that's the look on his face when he realized he was going to get the cake. Uh, like, there, he just could not believe, Mom and Dad, you're going to actually let me eat that cake? Are you kidding me? And so he was really excited. Here's another picture of him. He's even cute when he cries, okay? Right? He's even adorable when he's upset. Like, he was angry there, and I'm taking pictures. I'm that dad, right? He was crying. Here's the thing, though. I... There are nights where I can't wait for Noah to grow up, <laughs> right? Noah doesn't sleep all the way through the night like, like his brothers and his sister did. Noah kind of struggles at night sometimes. And there are nights where I'm like, whew, it is time to mature. It is time to grow up. And this is cute right now. This will not be cute after a while, right? When you're crying and keeping us up at night, it comes where you have to grow up. And that's true for every one of us, right? Every single person here, we understand that the same thing that's true for, for me is true for you. We all have to grow. And here's the thing. The same thing I desire for my kids. Like, w- one of the things I'm doing for my children, and this isn't for everybody, but I'll just give you a, a glimpse into my life. Uh, when my kids turn 10, I want to take them on a trip. And so my oldest, Caleb, is 10, and we're going to be going on a trip this summer, just me and him. And the purpose of the trip is for me to teach him about developing uh, godly character. And so we're going to go to certain places that allow me to talk to him about that. And we're going to go on these trips. And the goal is, not just for a fun trip, though it'll be fun. The goal is that he might look back on this trip that we went on when he turned 10 and then when he turns other milestone ages. uh, And he might be able to say, man, I remember the lessons my dad taught me on that trip. That changed things for me. I'm growing and I'm maturing because of that, because of the investment he made. And here's the thing. The same thing that's true for me and my desire for my children is true for God and the desire he has for his children. You realize God wants us to grow. He desires us to mature and move forward. It's so much so that before he was killed and resurrected from the dead, which we celebrated last week, Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to send you a helper so that you will grow. And this helper, I'm going to send him, and he's going to live inside of you. And this helper is going to be the Spirit of God that lives inside of you who's going to help you mature and grow and develop. Now, a few months ago, we preached on the role of this helper, this Holy Spirit. I want to remind you of just a few things. Uh, we mentioned a, a, a scholar named J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer says this about the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit, when you read about him in the New Testament, his purpose, he's a floodlight ministry. He has a floodlight ministry, meaning his whole goal is just to kind of quietly point to Jesus throughout your life. Think about that in the maturity that you develop. The Holy Spirit's goal inside of you, as you interact with God and the Spirit living inside of you, his goal is to point you toward Jesus, what Jesus said and what Jesus did, so that you will grow and mature. And you'll have milestone moments, moments where you look back and you say, God really taught me something in this moment, much like I'm hoping my son does on this trip we're going on. And that's the Holy Spirit whispering to you the words of Jesus, the teaching, what God wants you to do and who God wants you to become. A New Testament scholar Dale Brunner says that the Holy Spirit is the shyest member of the Trinity. He's the shyest member of the Trinity. He wants no attention on himself whatsoever. His role is to help Christians become more and more like Jesus. So when the Bible says that we're filled with the Spirit, when we're filled up with the Holy Spirit, we're not going to take on any characteristics that Jesus hasn't uh, already said that we're going to develop. 
So the Word of God tells us, it's not some new special revelation. The Word of God tells us how we're going to develop and how we're going to grow based on how the Holy Spirit works in our lives as He fills us up. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in John 16 what the role of the Spirit was. He said these words the night before He died. He said, He, the Helper, will glorify Me. For He will take what is Mine and He will declare it to you. So He'll he'll take what I've taught you, what I've said to you, and He's going to continue to declare this to you. Notice how He says that, though. He says, He, the Holy Spirit will glorify me, Jesus. Right? So the role of the Holy Spirit then is to make sure that the words of Jesus are fresh on our minds and in our hearts so that they can mature us and shape us. So how does that actually happen, though? The Bible's pretty clear on this. So in Acts chapter 2, Peter tells us that when we're baptized into Christ, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, and He fills us up. Now, I want to give you two examples of how that works when the Holy Spirit fills you up, one from the Bible and one a little bit more of a practical application here. And in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul uses this analogy. He compares being filled with the Spirit to something that's really going to help us. Because, look, we need the Holy Spirit to develop us if we're going to develop the traits we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. These things that God wants to develop in us. So I'm working with my kids. I want them to develop character and purity and independence and and, and leadership. And and God's saying, I want you through the work of my spirit inside of you to develop this and this. And I want you to mature and to grow. And he says, it's kind of like this. Paul talks in Ephesians 5 to the church at Ephesus. We're going to pick up in verse 15 of chapter 5. He says this, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, so because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So first of all, he says, hey, I want you to walk and live your life with wisdom. He says, I want you to be careful in the smallest of decisions and the most impacting decisions that you have in your life. I want you to really think about it. I want you to use wisdom and discern what's the best decision for me to make in this situation. And he says, do that because the days are evil. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your life because it's gone in the blink of an eye. He says, your life is going to be gone in the blink of an eye and the days are evil, meaning the culture around you is going to just kind of press in on you and wisdom is not going to feel like instinct all the time. And so you're going to have to be really intentional to live your life with wisdom. And the culture might influence you to participate in certain things that are going to make it not possible for you to live with wisdom. So he says you need to be very, very intentional how you live your life and the uh, the decisions that you make, the words that you use, they have to be filtered through godly wisdom. And then he says you really need to do this so that you know what God's will is for your life. Like God has these great plans for your life. He wants to do incredible things through you. And you need to be aware of that. So you can't go get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. So he makes a comparison between being drunk and being filled with the Spirit. Okay? So I want to look at this. I want to look at the differences between being drunk and the similarities between being filled with the Spirit and being drunk. Okay? So bear with me. All right, the differences are this. The okay, first difference is this. that Being drunk means you're losing your mind. You lose your mind, control of your mind, when you're drunk. Being filled with the Spirit is not like that. Okay? Drunkenness, losing control of yourself... Right? That's, that's being out of control, right? But the reason I say this is that because there's this whole movement out there that says, lose yourself in the Spirit. Right? Just kind of let the Spirit take over, let the Spirit lead you, and, let the Spirit, and, and you can do all kinds of things. And, and, but the thing with that is, that's not what the Bible's teaching. 
But the Bible doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, and when he was writing to the church at Corinth, he kind of addressed their church services. Right? Many people think you just get lost in the Spirit, and you scream out and speak in tongues, and you can run around, and you can make noises. And you... But Paul, when he's talking to the church at Corinth, he says, hey, when you run around, and you're losing your mind, and you're screaming, and you're speaking in tongues, and you're causing a scene, like people don't know what you're talking about. That's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians. They don't understand what you're saying. Like, why are you doing that? He rebukes them. He's not complimenting them. He's not saying, he's saying, hey, you, when, you, when you do these things and a guest walks into the room, they don't know what's going on. They're going to think you've lost your mind. That's not a good thing. As a matter of fact, he closes in 1 Corinthians 14, 40. He says this, let everything be done decently and in order. So being drunk, you lose your mind. You kind of go out of control, and that's not what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And Paul's making a distinguishment there. The second thing is this, alcohol deadens you to reality. I come from a long line of people that have abused alcohol in my family. A long, long line. Lots of people. I mean, I watched, I've watched it destroy lives and marriages. And I've watched people develop a dependency upon alcohol because sometimes it dulls their pain. Right? It takes the edge off of their depression or their frustration. I've had family members come home and say, I just need a drink because it takes the edge off of work. But here's the problem with that. In order to dull your pain, it has to dull everything. Like, it doesn't selectively pick the part of your brain that you want to ignore. It dulls all of it. And it causes you to be completely deadened to the reality around you. You lose your reflexes and your awareness. You're unaware of what's going on around you. And Paul says the Holy Spirit doesn't work this way. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's alive inside of you, he does not deaden you to reality. He wakes you up to the reality that is around you. He makes you alive and you can notice things and see things that you didn't see before and you're paying attention to people's pain and people's needs and you're remembering the words of Jesus and you're living out a very intentional, wise life. It's different than when you're under the influence. See, no person who understands God's will and his ways needs to numb themselves from everyday life. It's painful. Life is hard. Like, life is really hard and we all go through difficulty and we all go through really hard times in our lives, but we're not to deaden ourselves to it because it doesn't help us or anyone else that is around us. Instead, the Bible teaches here that God's Spirit gives us hope in the midst of our pain, right? It doesn't deaden us to reality. It makes us alive to the reality that's around us. J.D. Greer says it this way. I love this. He says, the fullness of the Spirit lets you perceive the wisdom of God's plan within your pain. Like in the middle of your pain, the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to see beyond your pain, even when you don't understand it. The Spirit lets you taste the sweetness of God's presence, even when the cup, of life, the cup that life gives you is bitter, so even in the worst of circumstances, it lets you see good in it because of the, it's beyond you. Paul said that the Spirit bears witness with ours, so the Spirit reminds us in the middle of our pain that we are the children of God, that we're His children and that He cares, that He loves us. You see, you're not unaware. You're not deadened to reality. When the Holy Spirit's alive inside of you, you're completely awake to reality, and you live a much more intentional life. Now, there's some similarities, too. See, the similarity is this. Alcohol captivates your bodies. It kind of takes over everything. You lose your mind. You lose your actions. It impacts your emotions. It just takes over everything. It causes things that would normally not bother you to really, really bother you. I, I've, I mean, I've sat next to people on flights that began to drink, and they just kind of lose their mind. It's really uncomfortable for them. Uh, it's uncomfortable for me, too, until they ask me what I do for a living, all right? So we'll be on the flight, and this one guy was telling me he was traveling somewhere. He just got to drinking too much. He started losing it. He started saying things he wished he wouldn't have said, and he's dropping cuss words everywhere. He's like, well, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm, a, I'm a preacher. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so much fun for me, not for them, right? 
But what happens is it captivates, so it causes you to think things and do things. The spirit inside of you is much like that. When God's spirit comes and begins to take over in your heart, your desires change. The things that you thought you wanted, the things that you uh, preferred in life, they begin to change. Like even when you don't think it's possible. I grew up and uh, I listened to, to some really hardcore rap music, right? I know that it's probably no surprise to you because I'm pretty hardcore looking up here, I know. But I'd listen to this horrible music. And I'm telling you, like, like not the popular stuff, like music that was just horrible. And it would have a horrible impact on my heart. I'm already a kid that battled anger because of my childhood. And so this music would just feed that. And I remember uh, becoming a Christian. I remember going to Bible college. I'm at Bible college. I'd still listen to this music. And I remember thinking, God can do a lot of things in my life, but I'm not giving up my music. I literally said those words. And God's like, oh, cool. Well, we're serving today at our table humble pie, Rob, and you're going to be fed a big piece of it because his spirit began to really move in my heart. And I remember one day taking all these CDs. There are these things that used to hold music. (laughs) We don't use them anymore. A whole book of them, and I remember going out to a dumpster, and uh, my brother still to this day is mad at me for this, <laughs> and just throwing them all in the dumpster and saying, i got to be done with that part of my life. Why? Because God's Spirit began to stir in me and change the things that I was desiring, things that I wanted. Now, it doesn't mean that all music's bad. The music I was listening to was bad, but, but not all music has to be K-love. But, but at the same time, what it was doing to my heart needed to change, and God's Spirit did that. It completely took over everything inside of me continues to this day. Now, the second thing is this. Alcohol, it removes your inhibitions. It causes you to act and say things that you normally wouldn't say or do. And you've experienced this if you've been around somebody who's under the influence. And it's embarrassing. And there's always shame attached to it the next day. It's always difficult. They think it's funny, but really it's painful. Look, the Holy Spirit causes you to say and do things that you normally wouldn't say or do either. If you read your New Testament, you read through the book of Acts, it's just fascinating to me. You have people all the time just doing... Like I love what the Apostle Paul would write in his letters. If you, if you read the letters in your New Testament, like Galatians and Ephesians, when Paul asks, like in Ephesians 6, he's in prison. He's been mistreated. And he asks them for a prayer request. He doesn't say, pray that I would be released. He never says, pray that I would be delivered. Paul always says, pray that I would be bold. Pray that God's spirit inside of me would make me bold to proclaim the gospel in the middle of my pain. Think about that. That's fascinating to me. He never prayed for release. He always prayed for boldness. Look at the Apostle Peter. Right? You get to Acts chapter 4. This is the same guy that had denied Jesus three times in, in a matter of an hour and a half on the night before Jesus died. On the night that Jesus did die, he, he was betrayed, completely betrayed by Peter. Now, same guy in Acts chapter 4, because the Holy Spirit's alive inside of him, stands up in front of the same religious leaders that killed Jesus and proclaims the gospel boldly to them. You get to Acts chapter 7, you see this young guy, Stephen. He's before these guys who he knows are going to kill him. He knows that death is looming, and he proclaims the gospel boldly. And in fact, they kill him. You see, this boldness, these were not all type A, outspoken, charismatic type people. This wasn't like, oh, well, they're outspoken and they're awesome anyway, and so they just have no problem. They're just, in fact, Paul says about himself, when I get up and talk, I stutter. I'm not the guy, like, I have a speech impediment. I'm not the guy that you want up in front of the, but God just compels me to speak boldly. You see, when the Spirit comes inside of you, you get a boldness. The Spirit that lives inside of you, he reminds you of the good news of Jesus, and he wants you to continually remind other people about that goodness over and over and over again. Let me illustrate for you this way. We got a cup of what here? Milk, okay? If I take this, 
liquid goodness, and I pour it into this milk, right? And I begin to stir it up. Right? Where's the chocolate? The chocolate, right, has actually integrated with every molecule of the milk. It's made it something different, and in my opinion, much better. <laughs> it's completely changed it from one thing to another. And the Bible tells us that when this happens in your life, this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit enters your life, and he actually begins to take over and actually turns you into something new. Your desires change. Everything about you changes. And as he continues to stir you throughout your life, this journey you're on with God, the Spirit begins to bring about the characteristics that God wants to develop in your life over and over and over again. This is how the Spirit works in our lives. And so, when I'm baptized into Christ, the Holy Spirit, he comes and he takes up residence in me. Okay? He takes his initial, he lives inside of me, right? Now I'm a Christian. But every day after that, every day after the day that you're baptized into Christ, you're on this journey of allowing the Spirit to have more and more of your life. Meaning, the Spirit comes and lives inside of you, and every other day, you're having to allow him, consciously deciding to allow him to stir you. The Bible actually says when you can consciously decide to stop allowing him to do that. And you can quench the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So we have to be intentional. If we want to mature, we have to allow the Spirit to remind us of the teachings of Jesus and constantly put Jesus out in the front of our mind. David says it this way. He, uh, my father-in-law says it this way. He says, it, look, he is residing in you, but are you allowing him to preside in you? Right? He's living inside of you, but are you allowing him to be the Lord of your heart and of your life and to stir you up? So I'm filled when I become a Christian, and I'm continually being filled as I allow him to stir more and more of my affections and my thoughts and my desires, and they change because I'm interacting with the Word of God. And, and just like Jesus said in John 16, as the Spirit stirs my heart, he's bringing the words of Jesus to my mind. He's bringing the words of the Bible to my mind, and it's changing the way I see and the way I think, and I'm alive to the reality that's around me, and I'm a different person because of the work of the Spirit in my life. But how does that happen? It's because he connects us to Jesus. It's not what the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is pointing us to Jesus. He's work, his work in our life is primarily about getting us to Jesus, right? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. As a matter of fact, on the last night of his life, all right, John 15, we're going to look at one more passage, or two more. John 15 says this, Jesus says on the last night of his life, he says, look, I'm the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more and more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, stay connected to me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So he says, look, you are connected to this life source, Jesus. And the work of the Spirit is to remind you to stay connected to the life source. And he says, you're required as a follower of Jesus to produce fruit. We're going to be talking about some of this fruit over the next few weeks. Some of the things that should be produced in the life of followers of Jesus. He says, these are the things that the fruit should produce, that should be produced in your life. The problem with many Christians is we focus so much on the fruit, we forget to stay connected to the vine, the source of life. And Jesus says, if you get connect, disconnected from the vine, you can't produce the fruit. So no matter how hard you work, no matter how much Bible you know, no matter how much church attendance is perfect for you, no matter how long you've been connected to a church, no matter how many things you participate in, 
You can do nothing unless you're connected to the vine. You have to stay connected. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to remind you to stay connected to Jesus. He is a floodlight. He wants to turn a floodlight toward Jesus in every part of your entire life. All of you. So that everything is directed toward that vine. You're connected to it and it produces fruit. Let's think about it this way. Our only job as Christians is to stay attached to the vine, Jesus. The Holy Spirit's role in our lives is to help us stay attached to Jesus. In fact, the Holy Spirit's top concern for you is that you would see Jesus clearly. That's what he wants more than anything else. And so now Paul begins to write about This is going to give us a lit. We're going to look at one more passage here. I know you're like, too much. I'm sorry. One more passage is going to set us up for this series. Galatians chapter 5. If you go to Galatians chapter 5, this is where we're going to be for the next few weeks. All of this understanding of how the Holy Spirit works in your life to produce great things in your life and how he wants to just point you to Jesus is so important for us to understand what we're going to study for the next few weeks. Let's pick up in verse 15. Paul says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the spirit of the, the, spirit of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the flesh are against uh, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to, to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So much like the Ephesians, Paul starts out and says, "Hey, you got to really walk in wisdom. You have to have this wisdom because they were being torn two ways. They had people coming into the church and saying, "Hey, you have to become a Jew first. They're called Judaizers. You have to obey the laws of the Old Testament. You have to go through these rituals. Yeah, and Jesus too. But you got to combine these two." And Paul's saying, "No, no, no. You're not under obligation to the law. And and in fact, you have to understand uh, that if you do that, then you are." discounting the work of Jesus. So you don't want to do that. Jesus sets you free from the law so that you can live a new kind of life. And his spirit that's alive in you wants to remind you of that. Then when he gets to chapter 5, he says, not only does the Judaizers tempt them, but the Roman culture that's around them is tempting them to give in to certain things, to participate in certain sinful behaviors. And here's the thing about sin. You should know. Sin is not boring. Things that will pull you away from the vine, detach you from the vine, and cause you to not produce godly fruit in your life are actually fun and enjoyable. That's why it requires us being intentional. Craig Rochelle's a well-known preacher. He says it this way, if sin isn't fun, you're, do- you're not doing it right. <laughs> Think about that. If sin isn't fun, you're not doing it right. That's the hardest part. That's why it's so difficult for us. Because some of the very things we enjoy participating in are the very things that Jesus said in John 15, God wants to prune out of our lives. Pruning is not fun. It's not enjoyable, but it always has a purpose. Pruning always has a purpose. And some of the very things that we struggle with, we have to have removed from our life. We have to have taken from our life. And then he goes on to describe some of them in verses 19. He says, now, the works of the flesh, they're evident. These are the things that people enjoy participating in some some of the time. They're caught up in these things. But if you are, then the Spirit's not able to connect you to the vine. He says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, uh, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And two quick things about this list. It's not exhaustive. Not every sin that is possible is on that list. That's for you type A people. (laughs) Because you'll make a list... And you'll turn it into a spreadsheet, and you'll say, I'm not doing any of those things, so the things I am doing, they must be okay. This is not an exhaustive list. And here's the thing, neither is the next list we're going to look at starting next week. 
Neither are the character qualities that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in your life. That's not an exhaustive list. There are other things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life too. Here's why that's important. Look, you're not equally caught up in all of these sins. You're not equally caught up in every one of these. That kind of life isn't possible. You're probably prone to one or two of these, and you're caught up in a few of these things. And he's saying, I'm warning you. Now, here's the thing I love about warnings. Warnings mean it's not too late. A warning means it's not too late. Right? No matter where you've been or what you've done in your life, he's saying to you right now, it's not too late. That's why he's warning them. He's saying it's not too late for you to begin to have these things pruned out of your life. Let the Spirit bring you back to the vine and produce great things in your life. It's not too late for you. No matter where you've been, look, if you're in this room and you can hear my voice, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, who you've hurt, what you've experienced, it is not too late for the grace of God to change everything for you. That's why Paul warns them here. He says, instead, let me remind you of what God wants to do in your life and the fruit he wants to produce in your life. So for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to explore. But I want to give you two things to work through this next week, to just kind of keep in your mind, to prepare you for this series. So like it carries over. This is not a sermon that you just cut off and say, well, done with that sermon. Let's move on to the next. I want this to flow. So I want you to wrestle with these two things this next week. The first thing is this. I want you to understand that you cannot grow without first recognizing that you need to grow. You just can't. You have, you have to recognize your need. Sin does not stop being a problem simply because you refuse to recognize it. Because you say, I don't believe in it, or I don't think that's a sin. It doesn't mean it. It just means that you can't overcome that sin without first recognizing it. Many people are caught up in a lot of different sin, wondering why their life is so frustrating, when the whole time they're just not recognizing that they have a problem. Eugene Peterson talks about this in a book. He says he was, uh, he's a preacher. He says one day he's wanting to do some yard work. He likes to do the work for himself, and his lawnmower quits on him. And so he's a handy guy. He doesn't want to call somebody to come and do the work for him, unlike my generation. And so he decided to flip the mower up on its side and begin to work on it. And there's this bolt on the bottom of the mower that would release the blade. And he's just having the hardest time releasing this bolt. He's pouring into it and pouring into it. So he gets a longer wrench. And then he gets something to leverage up against the wrench. And he is just, I mean, he's sweating. He's angry. He kicks the thing. He's frustrated with it. And finally, his neighbor, who seemingly had been watching the whole time, is like, hey, those bolts are thread the opposite direction. Why don't you just turn it the other way? And just came loose, right? In the middle of, oh, how frustrating. That's what I think many of us do with our lives. We get so caught up in something. We're trying to overcome it on our own and my own strength. And I can beat this and I can do this and I can do this on my own and I'm strong enough. And the Holy Spirit's just sitting there whispering like, hey, I've got this. You just got to release it. Just recognize that it's a problem. I've got you. Let's just go the other way. And he reminds you of the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. So too many of us, we try to push through our own issues. And here's the thing. You have to recognize you have a problem before that problem can be resolved. The second thing is this. Christian maturity and growth is a long obedience in the same direction. Okay? It's a long obedience. You're not going to be perfect tomorrow. As a matter of fact, it's really fair for us to say we're never going to be perfect. We can't. We're not going to have perfection in this life. But we should pursue perfection. But we need to learn how to celebrate progress. Many of us, we get this idea that I have to be perfect in order to be loved. God wants you to progress and grow and mature and learn. Much like Noah in that first picture. I don't want that picture to be retaken when he's 10 unless it's one of those spoof pictures where we try to retake it on purpose. I don't want him just sitting there unable to do anything for himself. Cry. Why? Because he needs to mature and he needs to grow. The same thing is true for us, but it's a long obedience in the same direction. We pursue perfection and we celebrate progress. 
Romans 7, Paul says the very things. This is Paul, the guy that wrote this stuff. And he says, the very things I find myself not wanting to do, I do. And the very things I want to do, I don't understand why I don't do those things. And I'm just caught up in this sin. And then he says, I'm just a wretched person. And then it's as if the Holy Spirit, working inside of him, stirring him up, reminds him of the truth of the gospel. And he follows that statement with, but thanks be to God for Jesus Christ and the work that he did for my sin struggle. See, friends, if we want to get to that point, just imagine what it would look like in your marriage if you let the Holy Spirit stir your heart and change you in your personal life, right? With your parenting, your interactions with other Christians, this community, this world. Just imagine what the Holy Spirit could do if we'd let him be the floodlight and point us to Jesus in every area of our lives. And we're going to talk about that for the next few weeks, but I want you to wrestle with some of this until we get there. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your spirit that's alive inside of us. Thank you for loving us, caring for us. God, we don't deserve what you have so freely offered to us. And so we come before you humbly. Many of us caught up in sin, just kind of feeling like we can't overcome it. My prayer for those of us that have sins, secret sins, secret struggles, or very open public ones, my, my prayer is that we would stop for a moment and recognize we have a problem, that we're trying to, we're trying to loosen the bolt and go in the wrong direction. We let your spirit stir in us to point us to Jesus, remind us of his words, and redirect our efforts towards surrender. We'd stay attached to the vine and that through a church of people that are pursuing staying attached to the vine, you would produce great fruit in this place. But that's not the goal. The goal is you. So Father, we come and we echo the words of Isaiah. Here we are, Lord. Surrendered, ready to be used by you. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.